You are listening to Sheep Might Fly, a podcast of serialised fiction written and read by Tansy Rayner Roberts. Our current serial is Musketeer Space. And I don't know if it's going to affect the sound recording, but it is raining a lot right now. (laughs) Chapter 47. Athos in the Walls. Dovecote Red was Athos's idea of hell. He had never been one for nightclubs. All that noise and movement. Even in his university days, he had not been the one who dragged them out to paint the town. It had been... No. He would not think of Auden here and now. He was on a mission. Athos liked having a mission. The best thing about being on duty as a musketeer was having a straightforward task to achieve, even if it was as simple as fly in a straight line from Station A to Satellite B, or keep the royal family alive during a public appearance. Athos liked being given orders, and he lived in a constant state of background dread that Treville would make one allowance too many for his extracurricular shenanigans and put him in a position where he was the one giving those orders. He preferred to be as far as possible from his former self, that young Comte, who bore too much responsibility on his shoulders, and screwed up his life so thoroughly that there was nothing but ash and rubble left behind. The best thing about a war was that you were technically on duty all the time. You had constant purpose. Tonight, Athos could see his mission parameters as clearly as if Treville had written them out for him in calligraphed longhand on the back of his arm. His mission was to find out whom Cardinal Richelieu was meeting in an upstairs room of this dive of a nightclub. His duty was to keep his friends safe. Wait here for Treville, he said abruptly. I won't be long. Before Aramis or Porthos or D'Artagnan could protest, he was out the door and striding through the club. A dark-eyed boy with silver eyeliner, too damn young for Athos, that was for sure, lurched out of the noise and the lights, covered in glitter. I like your jacket, he said, eyeing Athos up and down. All his instincts told him to brush this kid off before he got too close. Athos's usual method of getting laid involved arguments or swordplay, and he saved it for opponents who didn't expect him to be kind. He drew the line at flirting with anyone D'Artagnan's age. Possibly younger. God! It was hard to tell under all that glitter. But this was a mission, and he'd look less suspicious going upstairs if he had company. Athos offered the easy, charming smile he had so recently been practising on the Cardinal. The Dorteville smile, a family heirloom. Do you want it? he asked the young man, crowding into his space and sliding off the jacket to wrap it around his shoulders. It's yours. Huh, flirting was easier than picking fights. That was a thought to be examined at a later date. Ten minutes later, Athos was upstairs with a keycard, arms slung around the glittery boy. 
it hadn't taken much to convince the club manager, who'd served with Treville in the previous war, to hire him a room near, but not suspiciously close, to the Cardinal's rendezvous. It had been embarrassingly easy to convince the beautiful young man, who now owned Athos's musketeer jacket, to come upstairs with him. Charm was a dangerous tool. The cardinal's honour guard were positioned along the way, two of them at the top of the stairs, two more in the corridor, and the last pair playing cards outside the hired room. None of them paid much attention to the glitter-smeared couple that went past, though Athos was pretty sure at least one of the sabres gave him a wink. Inside their room, Athos peeled the young man off him and made for the wall vent. He'd spent a few nights in this club years ago on a protection detail for the Regents' hen party and had pulled at least three would-be assassins out of the walls. Dovecote Red had terrible lighting, awful music and a drinks menu that priced itself far too highly, but its ventilation system was spacious and comfortable. The glitter-strewn boy threw himself on the bed watching Athos with a calculating gaze. This is a spy thing, rather than a hook-up thing, yeah? Couldn't argue with that. Already busy removing the grate. Sorry, said Athos. There's a war on, he added. Don't bother me, mate. Makes for a better story tomorrow. The boy smirked. I get to keep the jacket, right? Athos rolled his eyes and hauled himself up into the vent. It was more difficult than it had been three years ago. Maybe it was time to cut down on the wine. Yes, he drawled. You can keep the jacket. Athos made good time crawling down to the room where the cardinal and her guest were meeting. All he could hope was that her appointment was a spy thing and not a hook-up thing, or he'd wasted everyone's night. Seems to me that your time on Paris Satellite has been entirely wasted. The cardinal's voice came clearly through the vent. Athos stopped moving. She was angry. The Marquise de Ward continued her lawyer's, loyalist sympathies, regardless of your involvement, and the Valor government has all but washed you at their hands of us. What was the point in making it possible for my own agent to take an influential position as Secretary for the Interior if you wield so little of that influence in my favour? Athos stilled when he heard Secretary for the Interior, because that answered his question as to the Cardinal's companion in the worst possible way. Me lord... He must think of him as my lord, because if he even began to think of that man as Auden d'Orteville, he would not get through this. A warm mouth on his neck, a sly smile in the sunlight, bare feet padding across the ancient floors of the house of his ancestors, blood, so much blood spilling out across the grass. Your eminence said a voice that chilled Athos to the bone. There is a fine line between influence 
and the ability to steer an entire planetary policy in the opposite direction. Athos leaned his head against the cool wall and listened to the voice to the inflection of every word. He had known about this ever since Dana spilled her secrets, but there was a difference between believing it and hearing it with his own ears. How are you still alive? Your so-called influence has been entirely toxic, the Cardinal replied. First Minister Brotro was previously neutral on the matter of valour independence and never once failed to commit troops and ships to the Crown when requested. Milord scoffed. First Minister Botro is four months away from retirement after three terms of inactivity. His fleet is controlled by the new aristocrats who fund each individual regiment. They all see Botro as a relic of the past and take their cues from the electoral candidates. While the Marquis de Ward has indeed managed to spark some of the younger new aristocrats to her royalist sympathies, the most powerful tastemaker is still the Duchess of Buckingham with her independence faction. Ugh, politics. Valour politics. Athos had gone to a lot of trouble to ensure he never had to care about new aristocrat posturing bullshit. Now he had to listen to it in his dead husband's voice? Buckingham and the rest are obliged to put ships into the air and join this war, the cardinal said, all but vibrating with fury. They are not independent yet. True enough, said my lord, sounding arch and amused. Did nothing faze the man? The defence of our solar system is a trending topic, and I might well have been able to convince the charming buck to join the party as a final gift to the crown before she rips valour out of the alliance. Unfortunately, she recently suffered a personal setback, culminating in weeks of rehab, hardly a development I could have prevented. In Buck's absence from the gossip node, it has been assumed she doesn't give a damn about the war against the Sunkist, and therefore the rest of the new aristocrats of valour don't have to either. Cardinal Richelieu was unimpressed. I am hearing excuses, my lord, when I want solutions. I need fifty new ships at the battle zone by the end of the week, and I want valour to be the one who provides them. We have two obvious options, my lord said, sounding delighted by the challenge. Either the Duchess of Buckingham must be convinced to lead an armada to war, or the other new aristocrats must be inspired to do so by some dramatic event. Nothing like a tragedy to bring people together, don't you think? Athos sucked a breath in. He had known for years that his husband was a murderer and a criminal, not to mention an alien spy. Was he really about to hear him plot an assassination? Now you're thinking creatively, said the Cardinal. The Duchess of Buckingham has proved herself a diplomatic liability. Are you asking me to kill her, your eminence? God, it sounded like my lord was flirting with the woman. 
a cat offering a dead mouse to his mistress. I ask you to use your own judgment, the Cardinal replied. She couldn't know. Cardinal Richelieu was working with the military needs of the Crown and Solar System as her main priority. She could not possibly know that the agent she had hired was one of the Sunkist himself. If she knew, she would never give him this opportunity to control the reinforcements for the fleet. Would she? I will not use my own judgment, your eminence, said my lord, Orden, my lord. Given the high profile of the target, I shall require personal protection to ensure I don't find myself reclassified as a diplomatic liability in future. The cardinal spoke as if words were being physically dragged from her. Tell me what you have in mind, so that we do not speak at cross-purposes. I am, as you know, a devout follower of the Church of All, your eminence, said my lord. I'd like you to sign a contract. During the pause that followed, Athos heard his own breathing loudly in his ears. My lord de Winter, said the cardinal, on the verge of laughter. Do you think it would be appropriate for me to sign a contract ordering the assassination of a popular politician from a planet on the verge of declaring independence? Nothing so specific, said my lord. Clearly he was going to get exactly what he wanted. But I do require your protection, should I be caught. A sealed stud declaring that the bearer has done whatever they have done in your name and for the good of the solar system. That should be enough. Only that, said the cardinal. She did laugh this time. Why, you could commit anybody you liked and be assured of a pardon. Yes, purred the man that Athos had once loved more than life itself. I could, couldn't I? I think I'll start with Dana d'Artagnan. When Athos returned to the hired room, the boy was gone, leaving only a rumpled bed cover and a pillow covered in a fine film of glitter. That saved him from one awkward conversation. Athos replaced the vent, washed dust from his hands and face, and checked his messages. There were a series of emoticons under his calm mustard from Porthos and Aramis, conveying surprise, impatience, concern, and their mutual belief that he was a dickhead. From Dana d'Artagnan, he had only a single message, two question marks. Athos typed a little longer, to all three of them, and stepped out into the corridor in time to see the backs of the cardinal and her guards as they swept out of the premises. There was no sign of my lord. One moment Athos was standing in the corridor considering what to do next, and then he was standing before the other door, one hand raised, and the sound of his knock still in his ears. So, they were doing this. His husband opened the door. 
Athos could no longer pretend that he was facing political mastermind and murderous secret agent, Milord de Winter. Not when the tired and sullen man with the silver hair standing before him was quite obviously the snarky troublemaker he had fallen in love with at university. He had one moment, one breath in and out, to feel glad about it, in a terrible sort of way. Then the anger took over, burning a hole through his chest and propelling him forward into the room before Auden could shut him out. "'You're here,' his husband said, falling back with his eyes wide and troubled. "'Olivier!' "'That's not my name,' Athos said. "'Believe me, I know the names you're going by these days, Milord, Slate, de Winter.' Athos had not put it together before, but he also remembered a compelling, quiet man in service to the Duchess of Buckingham when she first visited Paris as ambassador as far back as Joyeux. Mr. Grey. That man had taken the fall for sabotage of the station, gone to prison. But a shape-changer could escape anything. How long had Milord been playing the villain under a variety of faces? This face was so close to that of his own order that it devastated Athos. Why would a shape-changer hold on to the face of a dead man? Milord's surprise bled away, leaving behind a more professional demeanour. How lovely to catch up with old friends, he said closing the door behind Athos. Shall I print coffee so we can gossip about the good old days? Auden had always been good at turning on that slick artificial charm. He'd used it on professors, on girls trying to flirt with him, on authority figures and members of the close-minded aristocracy who disapproved of their union. He had never before worn his false face at Athos when they were alone together. And wasn't that a colossal joke? Athos kept forgetting it had been a false face all along, every second, because the memories jumped between what he knew now and what little he had known then. Husband, criminal, traitor, assassin. Are you a devil after all? You're supposed to be dead. Athos meant it as a threat, but it came out half sad half frustrated why are you still here that's rich coming from you said my lord there's a grave marker on valour with a comte de la fere's name on it yes said athos but the difference is i actually thought i killed you my lord smiled with that familiar twist of his pretty mouth surprise my condolences, Athos drawled, after gathering his dignity around him like a coat. He had to regain control of this conversation, despite his old insecurities. On the death of your most recent spouse, Delia de Winter, wasn't it? Was your wife aware that you were still contracted to me when you put the ring on her finger? Milord gave him a new smile, one Athos had never seen before. Death ended that contract, sweetness. You didn't die, 
Athos ground between his teeth. "'You have no idea what I did,' his husband retaliated. "'What I have done.' That made Athos laugh. "'I know more than enough. "'You have crept back and forth from Paris for months, "'running errands for the Cardinal, "'stealing diamonds, drugging the Duchess of Buckingham.' kidnapping Conrad Sue, and, oh, yes, attempting to poison Dana d'Artagnan. Not to mention, five minutes ago, you accepted a commission to assassinate a member of the new aristocracy peerage, in exchange for the cardinal turning a blind eye to a murder of your own. Did you think I wasn't paying attention? Milord's eyes widened as the list, barely a footnote, surely, of his crimes spilled out from Athos's mouth. "'You called me a devil,' he said finally, with a tilt of his head. "'I rather think you are one.' Athos needed to pace, to punch something, to hold a sword in one hand and a drink in another. He held himself still, because if he moved, they would be fighting.' and he would get none of the answers he needed. Is your ego so fragile that you would kill a child out of revenge for a spoiled plot or two? Milord laughed at that. It didn't sound like Auden's laugh. It was bright and cold and bitter. Athos's husband had been all of those things at one time or another, but he had not laughed like this. Do you mean Dana? She was a full-grown woman when I took her to my bed. Would you like details? She's barely twenty, Athos ground out. I don't give a damn about your seductions. But if you hurt her, there will not be enough pieces of you left to stage a second miraculous return from the grave. Milord leaned back in his chair, humming beneath his breath. It's killing you that you don't know how I escaped your murder. It was an execution, Athos replied. Tell yourself that sweetness if it helps you sleep at night. Milord's grey eyes glittered fiercely. You severed my head from my neck and you still couldn't put me down. It's eating you up inside. The only known method for killing one of the sun-kissed was to sever his head from his body, and burn them both. I did that. Nearly killed me to do it, but I did. What did I do wrong? Athos threw his arms up in the air, losing the temper he had been holding back for this entire conversation. Why are you here? Why are you pissing about with the Cardinal's plan to expand the fleet of all things? Shouldn't you be with your friends on the other side of the war? ready and aiming to shoot us out of the skies, or are you still nothing more than a common or garden spy? I have no friends, said Milord, unblinking. I am not who you think I am. I never was. Athos stepped towards him. They were an arm's length apart, then a hand span. He stopped with barely an inch between their knees, looking down at the seated figure. Milord tipped his head up to maintain eye contact. 
a silver hair falling back from his face. The teardrops. The alien ships. Your people are at war with ours. You are assuming a lot, my lord whispered, to think that I am working for them. It was a lie. Of course it was a lie. Athos slid the arc ray from his belt and pointed it at his husband's face at close range. If you have no loyalty to your people, then all you have to bargain for is your safety. Shall we find out how many methods of execution you really are immune from? Milord's eyes flickered, but only a little. I don't fear you, sweetness. Another lie. Give me the stud, said Athos. This was an order he could make. What? Milord was surprised at that, his eyes still fixed on the weapon. The sealed stud that the cardinal gave you, Athos elaborated. The contract, I want it. Milord hesitated. Athos pressed the barrel of the arc ray directly between his eyes. The alien spy made a frustrated sound and held out his wrist. There were a dozen or more studs along the pale skin near the vein. Did Sunkist even have blood in their veins? There had been so much blood when Athos severed his head from his body, but perhaps that was a trick. The one from the cardinal was obvious, a flat bead of platinum with a red fleur-de-lis stamped into it. Athos peeled it from Milord's wrist and let it burrow into his own before activating it with a finger swipe. Words glowed in the air above his arm. It is by my orders and for the good of crown and solar system that the bearer of this stud has done what he has done. Cardinal Richelieu, timestamp 789-98-RED, identity sealed. Athos nodded and stepped away from Milord. Bite us all you like, snake. You will face judgment for your crimes, like everyone else in this damned war. Having the last word was enough for now. He had realised five minutes ago that he was not capable of killing his husband for a second time, and it was important he not make that weakness too obvious. Athos, formerly Olivier d'Orteville, the Comte de la Fere, left the seedy hotel room and walked away from Milord de Winter, without looking back. Thanks for listening to Sheep Might Fly. This podcast was recorded on Palawa land. I acknowledge and pay respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people as the traditional owners and continuing custodians of Lutruita, Tasmania. Sheep Might Fly is produced and edited by Andrew Finch. You can sign up to my author newsletter for updates. Follow me on Twitter at TansyRR. And if you like this podcast, consider supporting me at Patreon, where you can receive all kinds of bonus rewards, early ebooks, and exclusive stories for a small monthly pledge. See you next week.